All right, well, we're uh, week five of five in a class meeting with God, and um, we spent the first three weeks talking about the Word of God, and then Shelby introduced this idea of prayer last week. So last week was really kind of what is prayer uh, tonight, I mean, sorry, this morning, we're going to talk about a little bit the purposes of prayer. Why would the Lord call us to pray? Why should we pray? And then just some real practical things. And this is an opportunity for you to ask questions, kind of think through our own personal lives, and um, maybe get down into the weeds a little bit um, to help us out. Okay, so that's where we're headed. We end today. The class uh, is final, um, but uh, certainly we want to provide you guys with some resources, some additional questions, and um, you know, these are pretty um, foundational topics. We talk about the word and prayer. So this is stuff that we should be talking about really until the end, right? Uh, we shouldn't ever stop learning about the word and learning about prayer and challenging one another to do it. We talked about, <clears throat> excuse me, early on, um, talking about the word is how many of us feel like we spend enough time in the Bible, right? Um, none of us really do. There's always sort of a hunger in us for more. And when there's not a hunger for more, we'd recognize something's wrong. There should be a hunger for more. So this thing, the word is out there. It's something that we know as believers that we're drawn to. Prayer's the same way. Um, prayer uh, is often one of those things as you list, like, what do you need to grow in your own walk with the Lord? Uh, a lot of people will mark prayer as one of those one or two top things that they don't do well. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what that means to do well and um, and kind of look at that. So if you look at your notes, just for a quick review, um, we've introduced this um, idea of the quiet time. Um, basically, this is a time we set apart uh, every day, and um, we've talked about this a lot, but just in your notes, you can see the definition. The idea of the quiet time is there are two pretty key elements. One is you're in the Word, and the two, you're praying, right? In the Word and your prayer. And part of the purpose of quiet time, one is to see God for who He is, with that, we understand more who we are, and we see God's perspective on what's going on in the world around us. Does that make sense? So through, through our quiet time, we know that uh, who God is, who we are, and then we're able to see the world the way God sees the world. That should change how we, how we act, how we live, okay? Certainly should affect our prayer life as well. We talked last week, prayer is spirit-giving word-saturated response to meeting with God, okay? It's spirit-giving, word-saturated, and we're going to look at that a lot more today, all right? Um, here's a question. Can prayer influenced by God's Word directly be sincere? I've heard people ask a similar type questions. How, here's my question to you. How would you respond to someone who says prayer that comes from Scripture isn't truly original and therefore not truly sincere? We seem to have a high view of, of sincerity, and you got to really mean it for it to have value. I think we over, overuse that. Well, how would you respond to that? Someone said that, well, if you're just praying things that are coming from the Bible, it's not really yours, so therefore it's not sincere. Good. Yeah, did you hear Brett... Yeah, the question is, your heart in it? Is this, is this something that is, comes from your heart or just uh, sort of going through the motions? What else would you say? Yeah, very good. Did you guys hear that, Robert? I, I think there's a misnomer that sincerity is the ultimate value of prayer. Like sincere prayers are actually more powerful than truthful prayers. And that's not true, is it? Obviously, we want sincerely truthful prayer. That would be the ultimate goal. But being able to read the word and, and speak that back to the Lord, ask for the things that God calls us to ask for, remind him of the things he's promised. As, as you see in the Old Testament constantly, just reminding God, you're a covenantal God. Look at this. You said that you would put a, a descendant of David on the throne. You said you would bring a Savior. You said you would write your word upon our hearts. And so certainly we want truthful prayers that are sincere. But we can be sincerely wrong, sincerely self-focused, um, have a sincerely wrong view of who God is. And so that's got to be our goal. So sincerity is not without value, but it's not the ultimate value. Does that make sense? Alone. It can't stand alone. Does that make sense? Not to confuse it. 
All right, so what happens as to when we're in the Word, how, how to, um, to me, how better to embrace the Word's effect than to turn to praise, confession, passion, all that comfort back to the one who gives us the Word. In other words, as we read the Word, it should immediately engage our hearts to pray, right? As you're reading the Word and you recognize how good God is, that's the best way to, at that moment then to turn and acknowledge who he is in prayer. As, we, as we're convicted of sin, that's the best motivation to turn at that moment and confess that to the Lord and let God convict our hearts or, or do that work in us. Make sense? So that's that word-saturated one. And we know that the one that we refer to, the one the Scripture reveals, we talked about this at length, is also our mediator. You know, our conversation, prayer before God would be non-existent except for Christ himself is constantly crying out to the Father on our behalf, constantly um, our mediator. And that's why, and this is our, one of our theme verse, Hebrews 4.16 can tell us that we can draw near to the throne of grace with what? Confidence. Not arrogance, right? But confidence. Why? Because the one to whom we seek, the one who has redeemed us is standing before God. He's worthy. Um, and it says we can go with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. So we can actually ask the Lord for things. We can stand before him confidently because Christ is worthy. He provides that way. And he's asking the Lord, asking the Father for things on our behalf. He also, it's also a model, as Christ is consistently before the Father, why we are called to pray without ceasing, according to 1 Thessalonians. Pray without ceasing as he does. All right. So, Shelby and I were talking after class yesterday about this illustration of how to change a tire. Uh, and I think prayer is a lot like this. Reading the Word as well. But, but, you know, you can read manuals on how to change a tire. You can talk to people. You can get on the Internet. You can watch videos. But your tire's still flat until you pull out the jack and you lift the car and you get the tire changed, right? Prayer, prayer is that way. Sometimes you just have to do it. And you really don't know how to change a tire until you do it, right? You just know it in theory. So, so prayer. As we study prayer, you know, those of us that have um, maybe been in the Lord for a while or, or you know, you, you can get into theory as you teach and teach and teach. But this is one of those where you just go home and you just begin to work it. You begin to do it. Prayer. Um, and how do you do it? So we're going to talk about that a little bit. Last week, um, we talked about ACTS, ACTS. Remember what those stood for? Shelby, this is their test. What was A? Adoration. C? Yep. And T? S? Supplications, right? These are elements of prayer. So when you're praying, it's a great model to go with. And a lot of people do that in order. They just start with adoration, Move to confession, thanksgiving, supplications, all right? Um, so these are elements, but we're going to talk, talk about the purposes of prayer this morning. It's a little different, okay? So I'm going to submit three things from Scripture, maybe not the only three, but three primary things from Scripture that are the purposes of why we're to pray, okay? The first one is to glorify God, okay? God gives us prayer to make much of himself, so part of the reason that we're to pray, part of the purposes of why God gives us prayer is to put, his, put himself on display, is to glorify him. And we talked about that when we're in the word, right, we know who God is, we understand who we are, and we, we understand the world better because of what we're reading. Well, prayer also brings us that calibration. It's to put God on display, to call us himself. It's to put us in our position, our humble place before him, recognizing who we are, the Spirit within us, communing to the Father. So we know the Father more intimately. We love the Father more. We want to talk about the Father more. We put Him on display more, uh, and on and on. John 14, 13, 14, Jesus says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that my Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So there's three ideas we'll look at from this passage, okay? The first one is he tells us to pray in his name. Whatever you ask in my name, he says. Why is it important to pray in Christ's name besides the fact that we're commanded to in Scripture? Thoughts? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no one can say in the end, no one will stand before God and, and brag about his or her work before the Lord or his merit before the Lord. That's a great answer. 
So we pray in Christ's name, one, it humbles us, it glorifies Christ himself, it reminds us that he's our mediator, it appeals to the very one who died for us, who clothed us in righteousness, that paved the way before, so we can um, be before the Father. So we, first thing we know is when we pray, we pray in Jesus' name, okay? It's not just a religious thing, it's not just sort of this practice, okay? It's a command of scripture, it puts us in our right place. The second he says, he says he will do it. He tells us prayers are going to be answered. Um, he says we can have confidence because prayers in the name of the Son will be answered. Um, and then third, why does he answer it? What does it say? He said, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Okay? He answers prayers so that God is glorified. He answers prayers so that God is glorified. It's that simple. So when we ask the Lord, when the Lord works, when we, when we see his his answer, then we share that answer with others. When we share that answer back with him in prayer, that puts God on display. So we, he knows we're needy. He's already redeemed us through Christ on the cross and Christ's resurrection. He's already guaranteed us with a deposit, the Holy Spirit, so that we'll be with him forever, right? But even in the midst of walking through life, all of the needs around us in our life and lives of others the Lord calls us to pray as we submit to him in prayer and ask him to meet the very needs that he longs to, to meet. Then it puts his name on display. So we share stories, right? This was my situation. I went before the Lord. This is what the, the Lord did. Now, obviously, and we'll talk about it in a bit, we don't always see the answers, um, but he does answer. John 15, 7 and 8, he says this, Christ says this, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Okay? If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to me my disciples. So, Jesus tells us that prayer, first of all, is contingent upon a couple of things. One, that we abide in Him. Okay? Prayer is contingent upon us abiding in Him. So what does this mean? What do you, what, we've heard that. Some of you guys have been in church for a while. I've heard that. What do you think it means for us to abide in Christ? So I'm not going to let you just sit this morning. I'm going to wake you up. We've got good onyx coffee in your hands, so you're ready to go. What does it mean? We hear it, abide in Christ. What do you think? Give us some your thoughts. Nobody knows. Patterson, I'm going to call you out. What does it mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good. Good, that's an awesome answer. Yeah, we're living every moment with a reality that without Christ, we don't have life. Without Christ, we have no future. We have, without Christ, we're doomed before the Father. And we're walking by faith, living in Him, trusting in Christ always. So you, you don't lose that perspective. Yes, sir. Yeah, if it's all by faith, that's, that's abiding. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. And that, that's a key element. It's just the by faith. You're living by faith that Christ is who he says he is in every moment of life. And you're banking your entire future on who Christ is. And certainly you've come to a point where you believe in the cross. You believe in resurrection. You believe that he's eternal before the Father. And so we live that out. We don't forget that. We don't live like the things that are right in front of us are all there is. That's just abiding in Christ. It's a very simple perspective that Christ is who He says He is. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we, we talk about abiding, that's a life, that's living, right? Dwelling with Christ. Um, 
And so when, that's why scripture can say pray without ceasing or why we're in the word continuously or why we're constantly it's before us. And we talked about when to have the quiet time, early morning, late at night, seven times a day, you know what I mean? 24 hours as we looked at several different Psalms that gave us different answers to that question. Just the reality is that every moment you do have that consciousness of who God is and who Christ is before you. We don't make decisions apart from seeking the counsel of God. We don't have relationships that aren't centered in, in, in the Lord. And we have conversations that are gospel-centric. We go to churches who preach his word, who, who lift Christ high. We, we live our lives in such a way. We have integrity in the workplace. All those things submitted to who Christ is, never detaching ourselves from who he is and walking independently in our own wisdom because our wisdom we know is folly. So that's really what it means to abide in Christ, day in, day out, at work, at play, in, at home, and in school, whatever your context is. So he says, if you abide with him, and he says, my words abide in you, okay? So he talks about his words living in us. We talked about word-saturated prayer, right? So tonight, today we're talking about prayer, but the reality of God's word dwelling within us, abiding within us, We've talked about memorizing it so that it's with you. As Spurgeon talks, says we should be walking Bibles. Followers of Christ should be walking Bibles. We should know the word that well. We should have it on our desk. We should have it before us and on our phone, the audio Bible going, but also prayer. Constantly communing with the Father that his words would be living in us. Okay, and intimacy with him. So he says, "If, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. And he says... By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. All right? So we talk about, you know, we, we get caught up with this idea of ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you, but we forget the first part. We like that thought, ask whatever you wish, right? But he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, well, how can it be that we could ask whatever and the Lord would provide it? Right, it's intuitive. What's intuitive here is that because obviously what we're going to ask is what the Lord would have us ask. It's because we're abiding in Christ. Because what do we want more than anything when we're abiding with Christ and His words abide in us? What would be our number one aim in this in this life? Glorify, glorify Jesus. Absolutely, to glorify Christ. It's good. All right. So, what does that mean for God to be glorified? Um, what does it mean? You see in the Revelation 21, you know, as Scripture winds down, you see God's glory in the new heavens. You see this great pictures of, of the different people groups around the throne giving praise to God. You see the creatures of heaven bowing down, you know, for eternity. Um, but what is that glory? Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology textbook says God's glory is the created brightness, or call it the brilliance, that surrounds God's revelation of himself. Okay, and he says, this glory of God is the visible manifestation of the excellence of God's character. It's going to be a little confusing, but he says it's the brilliance of who God is put on display. If you could take God's character and put it into some level of quick display, that's what it means for God's glory. It's, It's this vision that you can't handle because it's just the fullness of God in a moment, fullness of God in a in a space and time. We know he's not limited by space and time, but but when he glorifies himself, when we read it in Revelation, we see it. We see it. John sees it manifest. Okay, that's God's glory. Pretty amazing. Um, Another way to say it is the glory of God is the holiness of God going public. Okay, the glory of God is the holiness of God going public. It's the character of God, all of who he is, being made known and loved. We think about our role then to glorify God. It's simply this. It's simply to tell the truth about what God's already told us. To say back to God what he's said to us already. To reveal to him what he's revealed to us. To reveal to the world around us then what he's revealed to us. So your life becomes uh, uh, sort of this mouthpiece or this megaphone that says, God, you are who you say you are. And people, God is who he says he is. Right? That's why it's important to have word-saturated prayer. That's why it's important to have an intimacy and abiding with Christ so we're speaking accurately about who God is. There's plenty of stuff written out there that's not very accurate about God, who God is. And I would say probably the most dangerous bookstore you can ever walk into is anything that says Christian across the top of the, the sign. 
Because you walk in, you just assume everything written in there must, these people are smarter than me. They may know who God is better than me. But that's not always the case. So we have to be cautious. I love that we have a book stall with great materials that have been sort of filtered and, and picked over um, so that we can speak truthfully back to God who he is and speak to the world around us about who God really is. So we talked earlier, sincerity is, is great and it's, it's, it's necessary. We want to have a heart for the Lord, but it also needs to be an accurate sincerity. And glorifying God is speaking accurately to God about who he's revealed himself to be, primarily through his word, and then to speak to others about who God is. Speak truthfully about that. That glorifies God, puts him on display. So prayer is given by God in order for him to glorify himself through prayer. It's the first and most important and primary purpose of prayer. And I'll submit to you, it's a gift. We can't forget that, that prayer is a gift that God gives us. The fact that he communicates to us, he initiates that communication, he reveals himself to us and then opens the door through Christ for us to have that conversation, that's a, that's a gift of the Lord. So, thoughts, questions, comments? thought you had one there, Ron. You were just kind of squeezing your wife a little bit. That's, that's right. A little smooth move. No comments? Making sense? You tracking with me? Good. All right. The second thing we'll look at is that prayer is to make God known in the world as we bear the fruit of the gospel. So not only is it prayer to glorify God, but it's also to make him known in the world as we bear fruit. John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So here we see the idea of bearing fruit and God delivering answers to prayer in the same context. Okay, I'm gonna read it one more time. He says, I didn't, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So lasting fruit. So I chose you to go do lasting fruit, have lasting fruit, so that whatever you ask in the Father's name, he may give it to you. Okay? So you notice that this so that comes up. It it ties in God's calling us to bear fruit and answering prayer. Okay? So prayer is an instrument for the purpose of fruit bearing. Part of the purpose of prayer is that we would bear fruit. We bear fruit, and God answers prayer in that. Um, He made us to make him known in the world by bearing fruit of the gospel. That is, putting on display Galatians 5, 22, 23, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and other fruits. So God uses our abiding in him and our prayer and allows the world to see that the work we're doing is not our own work. You get that idea? That the work we're doing, the fruit we bear, the good things that we do, the love that we share, isn't originated in our own sort of ability to kind of conjure up that without, without God. Through prayer, God morphs and changes our heart, opens our eyes, gives us vision, gives us care and understanding, and we reach out to others, we do good works, and we're able to bear testimony back that God answered that prayer as we've been seeking the Lord on your behalf for so long. Does that make sense? So ultimately, it goes back then as we bear fruit to put God on display again, glorifying his name, okay? So the third thing is um, the purpose of prayer is that we have access to our great commander during a time of war, okay? So prayer, one, to glorify God, two, that we would bear fruit of the gospel in our own lives, and then that we would reach out to the great commander because we're in a war, okay? Um, question, you know, do you wake up in the morning and remember you're in a war? You know, do when your uh, nights are restless and your kids are at each other and work things are going crazy and other things are happening, do we ever have the thought, you know, maybe there's some spiritual warfare going on here? I think we forget that, especially living in the West, Right There's an answer, there's a medication, there's a solution, there's something on the internet. There's always a, something practical we can go to that sort of fixes it. A new method, a new strategy, a new book or whatever. But the reality is part of the issues around us, part of the trouble we face is that we're in a battle. That there is a spiritual war going on. We do have an enemy. Um, Satan is called our enemy, our adversary, God's enemy. He said to, st- 
to seek to steal, kill, and destroy us. He's the father of all lies. He's the great tempter. He prowls around like a lion seeking to destroy and masquerades like an angel of light. His demons are actively doing his bidding as well. So we hear movie, or we watch movies, we hear stories, maybe from family members. We have a concept of the intensities of what physical war is like, the horrific nature of war itself. But um, Scripture says that our life is one and lived out in a spiritual war as well. Paul says at the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8, he says, I've fought the good fight. I've fought the good fight. Okay, he recognized that there was something. A little earlier in the same um, book, the Second Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, he says, share in sufferings as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. There we go back to glorifying God again, right? A soldier's job is to not forget that he's in a war and to please the commander. Pretty simple. Um, the Marines have this uh, unofficial saying. They say Marines go to war, Americans go to the mall. And that's reality. So what's your spiritual life? Are you a Marine or, or a civilian? Are you at war or you're at the mall? It's a great challenge, I think, for all of us to remember that we're, we're in a war. And when you're in a war, there's no place for selfishness. And the challenging question about prayer is, what are we praying for? Do we pray for ourselves, others? We recognize that um, other people are also in the same battle. Um, Jesus says that Christians are to love other Christians. He says in uh, John 13, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I've loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And we realize in Ephesians 6, he says, Talking about spiritual warfare, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So you have this, real, this idea that we're to love one another. If we recognize that our brothers and sisters are also suffering, they're also in a war, they're in a battle, that we should be interceding for them. We should recognize their troubles and, and long for them, even if we believe it's not spiritual, if they're just struggling. Um, and that... Um, Ephesians commands us to have make supplications for one another with the reality that the battles that we face are not flesh and blood, but they're spiritual, okay? We have great tools. You know, we've got this member directory. It's a great way to love your body. You know, um, you may not know the people here, but we have, you have pictures, you have names. Uh, this should be beside your Bible. It should be at your table or on your desk or wherever you pause to pray. Like Josh has got his with him right now. Keep it. You have the new one, October 22? Okay. So grab these. Connecting point, which is that kind of long, tall, white desk out in the foyer. Uh, typically, they're there every, every Sunday. So grab one of these. Use it often. Um, but just, just pray. And you may not know people, but we know we're in a battle together. So we can pray that way um, through. We also have a, a newsletter called Be Steadfast. As people are listed in there, they tend to be the, a little more of the urgent needs around us. So just take, take that. Um, we're also called to love our neighbors. Uh, Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we should also love other people. So as we pray, we, we have this access to the commander on behalf of our own life and our family and our church and then other people around us as well, even the lost. Um, John Piper has this illustration um, he says that prayer is like a, a walkie-talkie in wartime. So you're on the battlefield, and you're able to call the commander, and you're asking the commander for more troops, for help, uh, to meet your needs and the needs of the people around you, and the civilians you're trying to liberate. But a lot of us treat it like an intercom in a home or like a, a room service at a hotel. You know, hey, I, I need new cushions here. Um, I'm not very comfortable. I need some extra food here, whatever. Uh, and so uh, just the challenge that John Piper gives is to never forget that, that prayer is like a walkie-talkie on a battlefield and not like an intercom for room service. So I think that was a good illustration. All right, so Ephesians 6. Real quick, I'm going to give, and then we'll wrap this one up. If you have your Bible, if you can, or on your phone, Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. 
We're going to read it just in his, all 10 verses, but I think it just sort of gives a good overview and um, sets our mind on this idea that we're actually in a, in a battle. Give you guys just a second. I'm going to read from ESV. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet have put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So you see great illustration here of just this, the battle we're in. You know, one way to look at our battle is that if it bleeds, it's not your enemy. If we're to love one another, if we're to love the lost, if we're to even bless those who persecute us, we don't have flesh and blood enemies. Our enemies are, are powers and principalities and these dark, um, dark forces. So here's a couple of things we get. One, we fight the devil. We've talked about that a little bit. That was from verse 11. Verse 12, it says, tells us as Christians, we don't fight with weapons that, that shed anyone's blood. We fight with spiritual weapons. Okay? Second Corinthians tells us those weapons have the power to destroy strongholds. So spiritual weapons. Verse 17, it says, we take up the sword of the Spirit. So the Word of God is our main weapon while praying at all times. And then we do not have one without the other. So um, just practically, people have asked, you know, do you pray first or do you get in the Bible first? And, and um, I think the answer is likely to get in the Bible first. Um, when you start with Scripture, it reprograms you, and that becomes the trampoline that you bounce off of, if you will, as you begin to pray. Okay? Um, especially, I think, if, if you're in times of dryness or... or um, um, just a sort of a stale time in life or lack of desire. And we're going to talk about those hindrances in a minute. But, but I think starting with the Word of God is, um, is primary. Um, so. so, three purposes. Glorifying God, okay, which is the primary purpose of prayer. He gives us prayer as a gift that we might glorify Him. Okay? We know more who He is. We understand more who we are. And that allows us to turn to Him in praise, accurate praise. He does it, he gives us prayer so we will bear fruit in our lives and the lives of other people. So prayer is for our bearing of fruit. And the last one was, we talked about, was granting us access to our commander during time of war. Okay? Questions so far? Thoughts? Yes, sir. Do I have to answer it? Yep. Yeah, great question. So the idea of what does it mean to sort of pray in the Spirit at all times and all occasions? And, and you, you alluded to the fact that people have sort of run with it. So if you come from a little more of a, um, maybe a, a mystical background, you know, a lot of mystical faiths out there that, that there is sort of prayer or in the Spirit is this sort of ethereal, ethereal out there 
um, kind of thing where, where even, even groanings that you don't even understand, right? Um, or a, a prayer language, those kind of things. I think a lot of people say, well, that, that defend that. They can defend it with this verse and a couple of others that say, well, here it is. Like, it's not really prayer if it's not in the Spirit. And I think that um, we talk go back to abiding with Christ. My interpretation would be if we, if we are abiding with Christ, if His Word abides within us, then He's going to answer those prayers, right? So that has to equate with the fact that we're called to pray in the Spirit. If He's answering those prayers that are not in the Spirit... Or if they're not in the Spirit, He wouldn't answer them. Does that make sense? The Spirit isn't going to sort of draw us into prayer for things the Lord won't reward or won't answer. Is that, is that fair? Right. Yeah, I, go ahead, Cliff, if you got... Yeah. Right. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt about this. That's a great point. I mean, I think there are times when we're anxious before the Lord because we're just not right with Him. The Spirit is sort of convicting us of sin or, or um, calling us to lay down sort of these anxieties of life, and we just sort of press on through or we go through the motions or, or whatever it would be, read our devotions, sort of go on. I think that's exactly right. So I think that's a great clarification in, in Cliff's point. Of there's, there's only, you're either praying in the Spirit or you're really not before the Lord in prayer, but... Um, I think that's a great point, sort of grieving the spirit. Yeah, go ahead, Bear. Yep. Right. Yep. Right. It's good. Very good, Terry. Right. That's good. That's great. Clear, better for everybody? Great question. Yeah. We keep in mind, too, that, I mean, a, a believer who's known the Lord one day can pray in the Spirit. And those who have walked with the Lord for, you know, for decades can fall into sin and, and grieve Him as well. So, so I think um, this staying in step, I think, is a great sort of adjustment as well. So, okay, we're going to talk a little bit about pitfalls here in our last, um, last few minutes. Um, we've already talked about some things that keep us from spending time in God's Word, in prayer. We've talked about busyness, and you guys have thrown out things in your own life, which I appreciated the humility of that. I think it's helped everybody, you know, when we, when we all kind of just get honest with one another. And um, So we're going to talk just a couple of more in case this might be a pitfall in your own life, or as you're mentoring other people, you see this, okay? So one is um, being dependent upon our emotions, okay? It can be a pitfall in prayer. And I think there's a, a spirituality that's popular today 
um, that's grounded more in feelings and emotion than God's Word and the truth of the gospel. Um, that hasn't been the case. Those kind of shift, you know, with cultural shifts. But right now we're, we have a, um, we've kind of gone from a secular post-Christian society to a spiritual post-Christian society. So there's just a reality of or a growing understanding that there's something spiritual out there. So you have a, a lot of people seeking spirituality. They're spiritual people. There's some kind of forces out there. They're kind of being renewed, but not based on truth. Um, sometimes, um, depending on our emotion, is real explicit. You know, it, it, you know it, I don't feel like it. I'm not happy today. You know, if I can't just like, you know, Psalm 100, just clap to the Lord, shout to the Lord, whatever, I, I'm... I'm I'm not going to pray. I can't go to sort of maybe Psalm 42, you know, why am I downcast, oh, my soul, right? We're not, we don't pray that way. And so we see this in college ministry pretty heavily, you know, this, well, there's some emotion in me that, that makes me think the Lord doesn't want me to do this, even though I know it's right, it's just I'm not going to do it, or the Lord won't let me do this. And we had a situation not too long ago where a brother had sinned against another brother, really hurt him, you know, um, said some things that were really unkind, and his roommate said, hey, you need to confess that and make amends with that person, and, and he said, yeah, I know I need to, but the Holy Spirit won't let me right now. That was his, his response. The Holy Spirit just won't let me confess sin or reconcile a brother that I've wounded, right? So that's just this popular language, or I, I know this discipleship would be really great for me, but Jesus won't let me do it. I've, I heard that one just recently. You know, I've got the time, I really want to, I signed up and everything, but i got to back out because Jesus just won't let me be discipled, you know. And um, So, if we let our feelings drive us, um, they can drive us away from God's word and harden our hearts, right? If we're not speaking in truth, if we're not praying in truth, then um, we can actually be hardened. Um, it's not that passions, emotions are always bad, um, but we have to recognize they're the caboose, not the engine, right? They travel along. They're important. They're a part of God's design. It's okay to be emotional in prayer. It's okay to be passionate. It's okay to be tearful. It's okay to um, uh, take those emotions before the Father. We are in a relationship with Him, but they, have to, they can't be the engine that drives us um, because they can harden us. So you see people that seem to swerve from one ditch to the other ditch from being uber-passionate for Christ and then uber sort of away and, and hardened and then back. And um, sometimes that means they're being driven a little bit too much by how they feel and not what they know to be true, okay? Um, all right. So we want a desire to know Christ. We should want our emotions to stirred up to go to, that are stirred up to go to God and his word. Those are good emotions. Emotions that draw us to, to thanking the Father, to glorify the Father. Emotions that draw us into his word, fellowship with the church, with God's people, those types of things are certainly emotions that the Lord will use. Satan is not going to drive us to the Bible. Satan is not going to drive us to the church. Yes, sir. Yep. Kind of services and prayers are emotional too, and it's all meant to kind of draw people in emotionally. Yep. And you can see them, you know, they're really passionate for Christ and they, they're, they're not. Um, but like our church, our prayers and our church service are very like based in God's Word. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Great point. Um, did you guys hear the question and kind of get the idea? Is that um, sort of the stirring up of emotions, does that become sort of a part of evangelical Christianity or just, just church, you know, in modern-day America? And I think we all that have sort of visited around at different places have seen that. I think we are all prone to it. You know, for somebody who's preached uh, quite a few times even here, you have to be careful. You know, you know stories, you know things that can really stir up emotions, stories, and illustrations that can be a little edgy or a little emotional or whatever, and sometimes those become the primary part of your message and not really just the truth of the Word of God, and those are, that's easy to do. I think that you know, when, you're, um, when you're in ministry, you want to see fruit. That's what you're looking for, and sometimes the only thing you see is what's on the external. It's the only thing we can see, but you can see quick responses. So when you have a congregation that seems to be stirred emotionally, it's easy to it's hard sometimes to discern whether that's the Spirit of God or whether 
You know, that's the thing. So, so I think we've got to be cautious. It's a great point. Super cautious with that. Um, I'll, yeah, go ahead. Right. So even thinking about our own service on Sunday mornings at UCC or Sunday nights, we're creating space um, within our services for a range of emotions mm-hmm. so that the Christian who just got engaged the night before and are coming to church Sunday morning super excited and joyful with the Lord and the Christian who just found out she had the Christian couple who just found out they had miscarried. Right. Good. Sure. Well, yeah, you read the you read the Psalms, man. They are laden with emotion, and there are times when you're you're struggling, and man, there's some Psalms that you kind of skip over that are all of a sudden just primary, and then other times when you're ready to sort of shout from the rooftops, where some of those later Psalms come in, and you're just you know you can't wait to to get to them. So I think that's. That's fair, too. One thing that um, you may not know is that our staff um, reviews the services every week. So they get together and talk through every element of the service, every song, the sermon, prayer, all those things, just to guard our church well. And I think that's, that's great. I think that's where if we start to drift one way or the other, then that's going to be caught pretty fast. So I think you can be happy that your elders are doing that, too. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it hasn't been that long ago that sort of church growth movements were really big as well. And I've gone through some of those seminars and just read books. And, and you know, pragmatism is a god of the West. So if it works, we worship it. <laughs> We're going to double down on it. And you can grow a church pretty fast with bad methods. Um, not a biblical church, but you can grow a room full of people. And so we just have to always be cautious. Yeah, I think that's, that's really wise. And recognize that the Lord initiates and we respond. And sometimes our response, I mean, we should respond emotionally. I mean, if we can't, you know, rejoice remembering our salvation, if we can't sort of see that we were once in darkness and now we're made light and we're here to proclaim His excellence, if that doesn't stir something within us, you know what I mean? I think there's something wrong. So um, it's, it's, not, it's not that. But that in itself is not the only sort of litmus test of where the Spirit's moving. And I think Jacob's point there. So good, great question. Okay, so being too dependent on our emotions. Um, sometimes we hit a dry patch um, in, in that. So we don't really feel that emotion, um, you know, sort of emotion field. And I think we just remember that's normal. You do that in every area of life, Right? You can have the greatest job in the world, and there's sometimes they're just sort of dry. You can love your kids beyond measure, and yet sometimes you just don't feel it like you did or, or, or whatever it is. And so, so part of just the human frailness we have, we just, we kind of, we sway, right? Some of us are more melancholy than others, some, you know, whatever. So getting a dry patch, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're in some spiritual funk. Um, we just, we press on through, through that. Um, 
we continue to read our Bible even when we're in a dry patch. Remember, it's called a discipline. I think that's important to remember. There's just a good, right discipline to get up and read the Word, no matter what you're sort of feeling like at the time. Um, you know, and so, so we talked about James 1.5. He says, we ask God for wisdom. He gives faithfully to all without finding fault. I mean, there's reality that He's just gracious and kind, and He's going to give us that wisdom that we seek. Um, what about when our mind wanders? I mean, I think people are different there as well. Uh, if you have things on your mind, a real practical thing is just to have a notepad beside you and just write down, uh, buy milk today or whatever, whatever that's plaguing you. If the things on your mind are trivial, my challenge with you would just be to try to eliminate more trivial things out of your life so those things aren't there. So you, you know in your own life what that trivial stuff is. But, um, you know, uh, there's a um, great call. You can, you know, I'll put no, no meaningless thing or no worthless things before my eyes. I mean, there's just a reality. There's a lot of stuff that's just worthless, you know what I mean, that may be distracting you and things that are more important. Um, and we just have to discipline our minds. We have to just learn how to speak to ourselves instead of listen to ourselves and, and straighten ourselves out and just be able to focus. Um, sometimes we feel like our prayers are going unanswered. Um, and then I think a real question there, a reminder is that it's really not about us. Prayer's not really about us and our interpretation of how they should be answered. You know, when we read scripture, we have this great view of God's sovereignty. I do. I actually have a much stronger view of God's sovereignty in your life than I do with God in my own life, right? If you share something to me, Lord's good. He's going to answer all these things. Then I look at my own situation and go, oh man, what in the world is going to happen here? And how are we going to get through this, right? So that's the power of preaching to yourself. So you can have the view of God's sovereignty. You would tell somebody else and turn it right back on yourself and say, hey, the Lord's good. He is listening. He is answering. I don't know how I can trust him. And really, if you think about it, in this world, our worst day on earth, we get heaven as our reward. The worst day on earth, heaven is our reward. So what, what do we have to worry about? We trust God. So even when we feel like our prayers don't get answered, we don't get discouraged. An, um, an, an acronym, if you want to use it, if you feel like um, you don't feel like praying or reading, we talked about this at a class a couple weeks ago, but this, um, I just put pray the IOUs. This actually comes from Capitol Hill, uh, a, a phrase that they have used in some of their classes, but um, it comes from the Psalms, um, and they're in your notes. You can look at them. Um, I would be inclined my heart. These are your prayers. I don't really feel like getting before the Lord in the Bible, prayer. So you start off, Lord, just incline my heart to your word. Just incline my heart. Open my eyes. That's the O. Unite my heart. So lean, help me lean into you. Let me lean into you. And then open my eyes. Uh, then unite my heart to what I'm reading. And then satisfy me that I might not be satisfied with broken cisterns and things of this world, you see. So those are just a practical, like, to walk through when you're just at those times where you just don't feel like it at all. Uh, asking the Lord to incline you, to open your eyes, to unite your heart to it, and satisfy you. And then the other is just these unrepentant sin, feelings of unworthy. We talked about that grieving the Spirit. I mean, the reality is sometimes you're just in sin and I'm in sin. Sometimes we don't want to get before the Lord because He's holy and we want to dwell in the shadows and not come out into the light. So just recognize that. Um, for yourself as well. Um, so I'll go through there. So a big truth here, I think, to remember um, is that we're justified by Christ through faith um, and we're never more or less worthy to go with God. Okay, we're justified through faith. We're never more or less worthy. So sometimes we, we don't feel like it because we don't feel worthy. You're no more or less worthy to go before God at any moment because Christ himself is worthy. He's justified us, okay? And um, you can't forget that. All right, another thing uh, we want to talk about is a pitfall is legalism. Legalism. C.J. Mahaney in a book called The Cross-Centered Life says legalism is seeking to achieve forgiveness from God and acceptance by God through obedience. So you're trying to earn your, your relationship with God. Earn your status before God. And sometimes um, we treat our prayer as a performance, right? That somehow, because we pray better, longer, uh, more frequently or whatever, we're earning something with God. And so that's a fruitless way to, to approach the throne. That's fruitless prayer. Does that make sense? Um, I think that one's pretty self-explanatory. But we go to God because he's worthy, not because it makes us right with him or earns his favor. He's worthy to be worshipped, worthy to be known. 
Um, justification, we've talked about before, but is being declared righteous before God. Okay? Sanctification is the process of being made righteous, and oftentimes we mix the two together. Okay? We mix them. And when we mix them, it's legalism. In other words, when you try to become righteous by God, justified before God by working, and we try to be, we just rest on our sanctification and, and not work, it's not, we don't see it as a process, then we, legalism is the result. So in other words, I'm going to work to earn God's favor, but, but once I get it, because I'm so good, I don't have to be made better. I don't have to be purified. I don't have to go through anything hard. So that's where we fall prey to legalism. All right, so then the last one is just laziness. Um, laziness can be a huge obstacle. Um, it's pretty self-explanatory, but, um, you know, it's, it's prevalent. We've talked about entertainment, maybe staying up too late. I think overeating, all these things just make us lazy. Overeating is not fair to bring up than Christmas, is it? That's kind of mean. Uh, we can do that a little bit, can't we? Our flesh loves to be at ease, and yet Jesus went through great lengths to draw us to himself, and he is worthy. Why would we not go to him? So again, thinking of this biblical narrative of Christ, what Christ went through to draw us to the Father, and then, but we'd rather be at ease and just kind of too lazy to, to be with him in prayer and in the word. Okay, so the summary of the pitfalls, the underlying issue at laziness, at all of these pitfalls is the lack of desire for God himself. That's really bottom line. It's just a lack of desire for God that causes us to fall into pitfalls. So it's great. It causes us to go back to the beginning, like praying, Lord, glorify yourself through me, right? Glorify yourself through me, the main purpose of prayer. Okay, the Lord tells us in John 15, 5, that apart from me, we can do nothing. So apart from Christ, we can't do anything. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely, it's a great point. Yeah, did you guys hear that? So Catherine says is that one thing that we need to evaluate is if we have no desire for God, this prevailing lack of desire, prevailing desire really for self, even as we try to pray, we have no desire to pray for others, no desire for God's word, um, then we need to examine whether we know him. Do we really know him? Um, and, and yes, sir, go ahead, Jacob. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, great point. Yeah. That's good, Patterson. Yeah, so you guys heard the question. Just more formalized prayers, liturgy, those types of things, uh, can they also be a pitfall? And I think absolutely. Anytime that we go before God and we're, we're not in truth, we're not sincere, we're not seeking to glorify Him, I think it's, they're all just shells. Whether it's uh, you know, sort of ultra-mystical and free-flowing and, and highly sort of maybe hyper-charismatic or... or uh, that or even uh, they're rigid and, and um, stiff or anything in, in the middle, you know, I think is a, is a pitfall. But our flesh longs to be at ease. It longs to, to replace the truth of Scripture and, and the sacrifices that we're to put before Christ and the disciplines that it requires before God with anything else, anything else. And then we'll gather in groups that think that same way because we want to earn. So, so yes. So I know like UBC, some of the men who pray, write them down, some of them don't. And what's interesting from being from having prayed, you know, here many times without writing and then have more lately kind of studied, it's pretty awesome to pray about what the Lord wants you to pray about as you stand before the church. So this labor of sort of being before the Lord in prayer, writing out sort of the prayer and thought, I think is, is sort of a good accountability. You know, no one comes and says, here, you know, here's the prayer you're going to pray, read this, uh, I think that's where you're even more easy to go, oh, pff, 
these people are more spiritual than me, so this must be the thing that the Lord wants. So, so again, I think it comes down to that. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. 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 That is a great, great final word, honestly. Well, almost final word. That was a great <laughs> leaning into the final word. <laughs> no, go. Yep. That's right. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you read some psalms and you think, wow, this is kind of arrogant, you know what I mean? Or this is sort of vindictive, and other times it's, uh, you know, this person is deeply depressed and distraught, and we know, you know, we have songs of high praise and intercession, and, um, you know, you have the same author, David particularly, wrote about half the psalms, that wrote a ton of them in every category, and so I think it's a great point. Yeah, great point. Great, well, I hope this class has been helpful. Uh, on your notes, there's some practical application questions for you to consider on your own. Um, and, um, you know, they're here. I think I put uh, a couple of questions. What's one thing you can do to grow in your intake of God's Word? That's hearing, reading, studying, memorizing, meditating. What's one thing you can do to grow in your intake? The second is what kind of plan do you need to make to structure your time in God's Word and prayer? Okay, what kind of plan? you need to make time of day reading plan prayer lists those types of things so just take those seriously um go change some tires learn how to do it right um let me pray for us father thanks for uh, your word and for prayer both are a gift let us um take them uh seriously and for the uh with the value that um they really have uh just grateful uh, for them grateful for this church pray for uh the service lord that you may be glorified in all of it and that our hearts would be responsive uh, as we as we hear and as we sing and participate in Christ's name. Amen.